The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 18, The Monthly Mash with Andrew Roberts. Welcome to The Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. And again, we have our another installment of the Monthly Mash featuring myself, of course, and Andrew Roberts. Andrew, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me on, Joe. This is always a great opportunity. Yeah, love just chatting. And then we have some some uh, listener questions that will get answered as well. But yeah, we I saw, are. I saw, yeah, I saw them on the Facebook, so I'm really excited. So um i'll probably repeat this at the end guys don't hesitate to ask us questions in the facebook group uh sending joe or i uh messages on facebook or instagram we always welcome it um so keep them coming yeah so why don't we first start with uh, the hottest topic of currency which is uh the u.s open at wingfoot we are two rounds deep the top score is what two under three under no, under, right? Patrick, Patrick Reed's four under. He shot oh, is he four under? Okay. No. I stopped watching after a certain point. Um, but yeah, he's he's four under. Bryson's three. I think they're like five players under par, and that's it today compared to the yeah. like 17 to 20 they had yesterday. So. so round one was, I mean, we had a record score set by Justin Thomas. And um, obviously some reports came out that the core superintendent was not very pleased with uh, the USGA's decision of how the course was set up for the first round. And clearly that was changed for the second round. As Andrew just mentioned, only a few people played under par today and significantly changed. I mean, JT shot what today? He was three over 73. Three over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And from going five under to three over, uh, it's a big difference. And yeah, uh, he, he was five over through 12, so he had to grind to get it back to three under three over because he could have that, that not saying that round could have got away from him because Justin Thomas is a really good player, but he could have probably shot maybe six, seven, eight over. Um, but he got a couple birdies late, so it really helped him. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rory shot six over, you know, Tiger and Phil didn't play great that week, missed the cut. Um, and, and, you know, if you want to get a, a clear view of the superintendent, golf.com, I can't remember the guy's name, but golf.com did like an eight-minute interview with him. Um, this course is brutal this week, three to three and a half inch rough, um, very thin fairways. I remember Faldo saying yesterday, I was watching some of the highlights last night, he said the widest fairway I think he measured uh, was 28 yards, and the smallest is 20. So you got to keep the ball in the fairway. There's some deep bunkers, not so much off the tee, but around the greens, and then big tabletop greens with undulations. Um, so Wingfoot has been testing the players every which way. I mean, Patrick Reed's lucky to shoot even today. Um, and there were a few evens, you know, only three players under par today. So obviously the core superintendent got his wish, and I think it's going to be a little more brutal over the weekend, especially uh, Sunday coming down the uh, back nine with anybody that has, cause we could see a log jam um, and it's probably going to be over par, maybe even. I'm really hoping that we have like going into the last day that there's like 
30 or 40 guys just like all within you know like minus depending on where the top is like minus one or even potentially to like plus three so it could be like anybody's game potentially i think that would be super exciting yeah and right now at the end reads at four over um if you want to talk about that tied for 28th right now is four over so there are about 35 to 40 players within 10 shots of the lead um, obviously we know Patrick Reed's won the masters, um, had a great ACE yesterday on the short slow on the course, which obviously, and Will Zatoris as well, um, probably butchered his name, but he also had a hole in one too on that hole, which is kind of interesting. Shortest hole wing foot 165, um, which, you know, some of the muni players that are watching this, you know, 165, maybe a medium length par three for them. And they're used to play short being like 130 or you know, 135, 120, something like that. So, um, but it's going to be interesting to see because, you know, Patrick Reed's got the lead. He's got DeChambeau just behind him. A couple shots behind is Justin Thomas, Rafael, Rafa Cabrera-Bayo, uh, who's been a great player in Europe and over on the PGA Tour. Um, but you've got 35, 40 guys within 10 shots of the lead right now. And if the conditions and the core setup stays the way it is, if you're 10 shots back, you're – you're still within uh, striking distance right now. Yeah, I think I think what what's pretty interesting. Everyone keeps ragging on him uh, as Bryson and his approach. Obviously, everyone's taking a little bit more conservative approach, not using driver off the tee for a majority of their shots. But Bryson's been holding true to what he said he was going to do, and uh, I mean, it's working out for him. I mean, he hit a drive 380 yards today, mm-hmm. and uh, hit a, a wedge into a par five. Yeah, at a wedge into a par five. He talked about this earlier in the week. He said, obviously, a lot of guys are going to go for six. That's one of the only two par fours under 400. That's three. It's playing anywhere, I think, from like 319 to three, I think, 30. Now, if you look, Gil Hansk is a tour of the golf course, and this is one of the holes. So they did have a back bunker behind. They've replaced that. There's a little stream back there, but a lot of guys are hitting it probably in the front left in that rough, like yesterday, the pin was all in the back, right? Ricky, uh, Tony Finau, Jason Day were all in that left front left and they had a ton of green to work with. I mean, they had probably about 15, 20 yards of green to work with. So a lot of them were landing in the front third and obviously releasing it because that rough's three, three and a half inches thick. Um, But Bryson has said he was going to go for it every day this week. And the other one that kind of surprised people a little bit is 11. Um, just because it plays anywhere from like three, I think 370 to like 395. Um, but he's been hitting driver there and uh, apparently it's been working out. There was another one where the tee box was like right here and he was turned all the way to the right to cut this corner. I think it was like a 484, 490 yard par four um, of a line that not anybody is taking. So he's got obviously specific lines. He's the longest player on tour now. Um, and it's paying off because he said earlier in the week, he said, if I'm getting shorter clubs out of the rough, I got a nine or a wedge. I'm still going to try to hit it to the front of the green. His goal the entire week is not to be behind the hole because a lot of these holes slope from back to front, um, you know, and, and he wants to be short of the hole. So he said he'd take one club down and be short of the green and, and pitch it up. And obviously so far it's working. He had the best run of the day today, 269. So. Um, but we'll see on the weekend um, if that strategy works or if his driver's a little errant, what he's going to do. 
Yeah, anything anything could change, especially depending upon the weather. I know this morning was a little bit cooler and windier than it was uh, yesterday in the first round, and that definitely started to play a role in you know the outcome for everyone. Um, but I know you did a little bit of research on the on the course. I didn't know if there was anything specific that you wanted to talk about in terms of uh, like the Gil Hans, uh, you know, renovation basically of of all the holes or whatever. Uh, yeah, and for you guys that don't know, kind of the last couple of years for Fox Sports, Gil Hans has been an on-course commentator. He's a very well-known uh, course designer architect around the United States, and um, obviously, Wingfoot West was one. It was one of his biggest projects the, uh, a few years ago. Um, so he's put some bunkers in that he basically called their aesthetics because those are the ones that Tillinghast. He tried to recreate some of the Tillinghast design because. Um, when he watched the open in 2006, even though, you know, Jeff Ogilvie went over par and still to this day, I'm shocked that Phil Mickelson did not win the 2006 U.S. Open. Um, obviously, we know what happened on 18, blasted it way left, um, ended up making double. He could have made bogey, got into an 18 old playoff the next day, won it with par. Obviously, you know, maybe that was Phil's best shot to win. Another one would have been 2013 Marion, but I digress, you know, where Justin Rose won. But anyway, Gil Hans wanted to restore A.W. Tillinghast design. So a lot of these uh, greens are obviously the tabletop greens, but they have false fronts, which means the green is not flat like this. It slopes down. So if your ball catches on the front, it's going to come back into what are called collection areas a lot of times in golf courses. So, there were several holes on that course. Uh, for example, basically Gil Hansen out of the gate, the first hole, par four, like 454. He thinks it is the hardest green to read on the golf course. Um, and one reason that is, is if you look at Zach Johnson's putt yesterday, he was 25 feet right of the pin. He aimed probably about 10 to 12 feet right, used the slope, curled it down back into the hole for birdie. It was one of the best putts I've ever seen. But this in the middle of the screen, there's a bowl. So it kind of slopes down. It's got a false front. It's also got some roll-offs on the back. There are a couple deep bunkers around the green. One of the things Gil Hans kind of did with the redesign is he made a lot of deep bunkers around the green, especially those par threes. Uh, number three, number seven, number 10, which he said the green at number 10, there's a bunker short right and kind of in the middle or back left. He said the green is like a ski slope, so it slopes from back left all the way to front right. So it is a pretty treacherous slope on that. Uh, number 14 was another hole that was picked out. There was a fairway bunker in the left about 265, 270. There's another one placed on the right. So for players, it kind of gives them an aim, but they still have to work a draw to a fairway that's about 20 to 25 yards wide. You know, and that and that is a pretty treacherous green. The other thing with Wingfoot, only two par fives on the golf course. Number nine, which plays about 565 to about 585. And then number, uh, I believe it's number 13. Uh, yesterday it was playing, I think, 645 yards. So I think that's about the tip is what it can play. And I think at the shortest, I think it's like 620. Um, so Wingfoot is a bear from the greens perspective. Lots of bowls, lots of slopes, contours. It can roll off on one side. It can roll off on the other side. You can roll off the front, go into the collection area. Um, so you've seen a wide variety of shots. A lot of players have obviously pitched the ball a lot. Uh, even close to the greens, Hideki Matsuyama today um, hit 
He had a chip shot from the fringe, rolled it up to a slope, backed it up into the hole. You're going to see a lot of that. Some players are putting, you know, even like five yards off the green because of the contours and the false fronts, and it's pretty smooth, and sometimes they think they'll duff or, or skull or chunk a chip, which we've seen a lot. So kind of the thought on Wingfoot, it's close to 7,400 yards, not shocked by that. Um, it's got really big tabletop greens with tons of undulation. It's got deep bunkers. And obviously the three to three and a half inch rough is another big story because sometimes the players have been able to get out of those lies. But sometimes there was one yesterday that I showed Joe uh, with Tiger Woods that he was only able to uh, get it out about 50 yards because the lie was so thick and gnarly. Um, And then there was a video golf.com did earlier in the week. They put on their Instagram. It was like a 24 ounce can of Arnold Palmer. They could fit that entire can down into the rough. So, those are just some of the things to be aware of uh, this weekend with the call on NBC Sports um, or if you're watching on the Golf Channel as well. Yeah, I saw that can of Arnold Palmer and I thought it was like uh, like one of the spiked ones that it's like smaller can, like normal size almost. And so they yeah. started pulling out and I'm like, oh, it's, it's still going. This is like yeah. one of those like Arizona ones that are enormous. I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, but, and, and that's a and that's the thing with the rough lies this week. So, you know, if you get a good break, you got to take advantage of it. But if you get a bad break, you're either going to have to hack out or, you know, be strong like a Bryson, Rory, Dustin, you know, those guys, um, and try to advance it as far as you can or get it as close to the green as you can because, I mean, that rough is pretty penalizing. Uh, at least half a shot, probably a shot, shot and a half in some cases. Yeah. Not often do you hear, uh, I've heard it a few times, definitely. I know Patrick Reed at least once today hit a shot and he knew it wasn't going to get onto the green, but he was, you just hear him, which you never hear any player usually just say, please get into the bunker, please get into the bunker. Never, mm-hmm. never like you never really hear that ever. I mean, you want to be in the rough, not, not here though. Well, because like I said, they haven't mowed the rough since Tuesday. So this stuff is gnarly it's long, um, you know, in the morning it's got moisture on it, so it makes it even harder. I mean, it, guys would rather be in the bunker because you know you're going to get a great lie because these bunkers have also been redesigned, and it's got some pretty soft, um, you know, sand. It's not super compact, but it's nice, and it's, it's very very like Carolina or Florida sand. But this is a country club, so obviously they, they don't spare any expense um, on the golf course. But – you know, if you get those gnarly lies around the greens, I mean, I saw one on Thursday where Morikawa, he was two yards off the green, and he tried to hit a flap shot, and it went maybe about half a yard, and it went to the bunker. I mean, it sounded thick. I mean, it, you know, it was just it was just this, and I'm like, didn't go anywhere. I was like, okay, this is, you know, I knew it was legit, but just to see shots like that where guys are just, Third shots, they're just praying to get on the green and have even a 30-footer for par. But, you know, obviously ended up getting it up and down for bogey. But, you know, that's why guys are saying getting in the bunker because the lies, some of those lies around the green are really gnarly. Yep, especially depending on which way, too, the grass is going. I've heard through some certain, I can't remember where, but certain people are saying I think that they're, like, blowing, blowing the rough so the grass faces specific ways if they can do that which i'm not surprised either 
No, I and the guy who's the superintendent said they they are on site at three a.m. every morning and sometimes staying till nine or ten. So one of the things obviously is if they want to cut and roll the greens, um, obviously uh, raking the bunkers, things like that, uh, filling in the divots on on holes. But the other thing is just like that, they're ta- they're just basically taking leaf blowers and blowing it, you know, in it and maybe blowing it, you know, if you're if you're going this way in a hole. They want it to go the opposite way because then it makes it you get in the rough. It's more penalizing because it's it, the grass is going against you. So a lot of times you hear on golf progress, the grass is going against you. The grass is going with you. If the grass is going with you, you're more than likely going to catch a flyer, which means that ball is going to come out hot. So a lot of times you may take half one, two clubs less. If the grass is growing against you, that's going to be a thicker line. You're going to have to club up. But you also have the chance of if this is the face, right, here's the hosel, turn it down this way or letting it stay open. So you have a bigger chance of hitting a big hook or a big slice uh, from that rough. Yeah, if I saw this today, if anyone uh, follows me in my golf, they did a little short five minute special on hitting, hitting out of various lies in the rough based on what's happening mm-hmm. this week at yep. Wilford. So if anyone yep. wants some uh, instructional help, there's some there's some good instruction there if you like me and my golf. And it also it, it depends on the type of the grass. So kind of the grass they have at Wingfoot um, is a is a cooler climate grass. So people that play in the cooler climates, kind of where you are, Joe, or where I was from in the Midwest, uh, they get bent uh, bluegrass sometimes winter rye, and those grasses tend to either usually grow in one way. So they either grow with you or against you. Um, what we have down in Phoenix, down here in Arizona, and other places, there's Bermuda, and it'll grow crisscross. So they talk about it's really spongy, just because sometimes you don't know what you'll get out of that lie, and sometimes your club will catch, and sometimes it won't. So it also depends on kind of the type of grass. But, yeah, go check out me and my golf. They do a ton of awesome uh, golf instruction videos. Um, so they're they're great on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, wherever. Yeah. Um. Why don't we get into some of the listener questions? I know you had, I don't know if this was like meant to be funny or a silly one. On it, your, it was meant, on it's meant to be funny. Okay. My- okay. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, so I the answer it on air. I, it's you did. You did. For anyone who doesn't follow Andrew, the question was something along the lines of how can I get a hole in one on every hole or something along those yeah, lines? It was, it was, it was in, I, if I would have had a better response, I would have said, uh, you got to be 10 cup, but you know, we know how that movie ends where he hits, you know, five balls in the water and 18. Um, but how do I get a whole one in every hole? Uh, good luck. Uh, you might want to play EA sports like Tiger Woods or the new PGA tour 2 K 21. Yeah. Um, but the chances of getting a hole in one or one in 24 million, I've only had one and that was when I was 14, I'm 35. So, um, I've gone 21 years uh, without a hole in one. Uh, I've only had one. So um, one in 24 million, you've got a better chance of being struck by lightning or eaten by a shark than making a hole in one. Or, and it's about the same odds as winning the lottery. So, uh, I mean, go ahead and try it. <laughs> yeah. You know, if your golf course is all par threes, you may have a better shot, but yeah. There was, there was, um, if anyone wants to find it, I can try and look for it and put it in the show notes. I think someone from scratch uh, once did... It's like spent a whole day at a par three at some random course. And 
just hit balls just yeah. to see just to see if he get a home one and he never did um, yeah and, so, and yeah. there's been a yeah and there's been a lot of like uh txg golf out of canada they did i think it was i can't remember the lefty's name they're both really good golfers i think they're scratched but they're great club builders too uh, so anybody in toronto canada uh go check them out um but they did like this this hole i can't i think it was like 165 yards and they got bet by another popular golf YouTube celebrity. I can't remember who, but to hit, I think it was to hit like a hundred or 150 balls to see if they can get a whole one. They couldn't also a great segment on the European tours, YouTube channel is they take pro golfers like Brandon stone, uh, Andy Sullivan, Eduardo Molinari, who's the brother of Francesco. And they give them 500 balls to see if they can make a hole in one. And I think they've only had one or two um, out of all those videos they've done with European tour pros making a hole in one. So it's it's pretty rare, but it's kind of cool to see him try, because like, I mean, like Thomas Peters and Brandon Stone uh, just start swearing because it becomes so difficult and everything, and it it's just makes them human. But it just shows like even pro golfers can't make a hole in one all the time either. No, it's it's not as easy as you think. No, it's it's definitely not. No, you you I mean, obviously you need good alignment. A good swing, good club, but sometimes you need a little bit of luck too. So you just need all those things working in your favor. Yep. All right. So let's go with this question first. Um, this one is from Jeff off of Facebook, and it says he asks, "Should recreational golfers use the styles of men or women's play on tour for the quickest improvements to their games?" I'm curious to what your answer is. Well, first, Jeff, uh, thanks for your question. Um, secondly, you know, I, I thought about this question a lot. I think if you take some tips from the tour pros, uh, men's and women's, I don't have an issue with it because sometimes some of these golf coaches that PGA and LPGA tour and corn Ferry and whatever tour players are playing on, they do coach regular, you know, recreational golfers. However, nobody has the same anatomy and nobody, no two people have the same swing. So, like, for example, I remember back in the early 2000s when Adam Scott was just coming around and, you know, Tiger Woods was in his prime, and they were both being coached by Butch Harmon. They had similar techniques and pretty similar finishes, but their golf swings are not exactly the same. So, you know, for example, if your build is, is similar to somebody, um, you know, I'm the same height as, as uh, Justin Thomas. He's five foot eleven. Justin Thomas is 160 pounds. I'm 195. Am I going to swing exactly like Justin Thomas? Absolutely not. Do I think he's got some good principles? Sure. So if you want to take some good principles from the swing, such as good takeaway or uh, wrist position, things like that, that's fine. But don't completely change your swing to emulate the tour pros. They are working, you know, day in, day out their swings. And sometimes they can make a wholesale swing change like Tiger, or, you know, somebody along those lines, which he's done several times. And, you know, they can implement it. You know, they don't aren't great right away, but they, within three to six months, they're good. If you try to implement a wholesale swing change to swing like so-and-so, it's probably not going to work out. So the short answer is take some techniques, take some maybe some cues that you struggle with um, and use those, but don't say I want to swing exactly like Tiger or Bryson or Rory or things like that, because 
their builds, their anatomy, their things are a lot different than you and I. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And then kind of my take on that question is, I mean, we see these guys and girls do all these crazy different shots. I mean, they're professionals Mm -hmm. for God's sake. I mean, we are, no matter how good you are, I mean, they're the best of the best and that's why they're on tour basically. Um, I mean, I find myself typically, you know, where a professional golfer would probably, you know, there might be 25 to 30 yards from the front of the green and they'll end up chipping it on or pitching it on depending on, you know, the green and all these other factors, of course, I end up for the most part, just doing a little bump and run, which of course, sometimes professionals do, but I feel more comfortable with doing a little bump and run up to the green. Cause I know I can control that a lot better than I can usually a chip or a pitch shot if I need to, um, you know, so just play, play your game and just stick yep. to it, especially if it works for you. Don't just kind of pick something up because the pros are doing it and you're like, well, they're doing it. So I should probably do it. But I mean, I played the other a few weeks ago with um, some older gentlemen. And I mean, they both, whenever they were in a green side bunker, their first uh, club to help them get out was a putter. I mean, they just putted it out as hard as they could and just rolled it out basically and up onto the green. I mean, they don't want to take risk it to uh, hit another sand shot, which I mean, can't blame them if, if, you know, could they practice it? Sure. But they're probably not spending the time to do that. I mean, they're just out to enjoy the game and that's totally fine. But, and, and yeah. And I like what you said that, um, you know, play your game. Everybody has, everybody has strengths. Everybody has things they're really good at. Everybody has stuff they're working on. So play to your strengths. And then obviously, you know, still work on your strengths, but also work on the weaknesses in your game, which I'm going to ask Joe a question right now. Um, what are three things, whether it's a, a beginning golfer, a high handicap or middle uh, handicap golfer, what would you say to work on would be? So this is pretty much my, what I'm doing essentially. I would say yeah. your biggest thing, this is my, this is my take on it. Um, I saw, um, a thing from shot by shot. They do like uh, score scoring analysis, basically like strokes gained for the most part. And they put some stuff out on Instagram on like how to help you break 100 or break 90, depending on where you're at. And obviously you should, to, to know these things, you should be tracking your stats. And um, I saw their thing the other day and I like their style a little bit better of what they're tracking because I've just been tracking fairways hit, greens and regulation, and then number of putts, which I think are great stats to track. However, um, I don't hit a lot of fairways sometimes, but when I'm in the rough, I'm not super far off the fairway, if that makes sense. And it's usually not necessarily a bad thing, right? So that that doesn't necessarily, even though, you know, you might only see that you only hit three fairways, but if you weren't in any trouble and you still had a good shot at the hole and you didn't necessarily not have a shot, towards the green, then it's not necessarily a bad thing, if that makes sense. So they, they break it down into drives, approach shots, chip and sands and putting. So basically they, they want you to quote unquote track your penalties, um, or like cost, cost shots basically. So like off of a drive would be, um, basically if either it went out of bounds and you have to re tee 
or it went into a penalty and you have to take a drop or you basically you like you were in the woods and you really have no shot. So you have to hit out onto the fairway so you can have a shot towards the green. So any of those would count as like a, a penalty quote unquote for your approach shots basically would be basically again, if you hit the ball into a penalty or out of bounds, or you just totally flop the shot and you have another greater than 50 yards basically into the green. And then for chips and sand shots, basically you have to do both of these. Um, it's either you like hit it fat or skull it. So it's not on the green basically. And it has to take you four shots or more to hole out from that original position basically. So that would be another penalty. And then for putting any penalty would be a missed putt from within three feet or three putting from uh, 30 feet or less basically. So those are all huge areas. And I think first thing for anyone that wants to improve, you need to track something. It doesn't have to be those things, but I think those are really good things to kind of see where you're at. And the person who runs shot by shot did a whole analysis of people putting in their scores and did an analysis of people who generally shoot a hundred. And he said, usually they have 10 on average, 10 quote unquote penalties per round so they could be technically shooting about a 90 basically if they didn't have stupid mistakes, which, you know, everyone has every round basically. I mean, we'd all be shooting 70 if we didn't have that one chip shot or that one miss putt basically, but um, they add up over a round, right? So like I said, I've been, I've been measuring fairways hits, greens and regulations and putts, which I think are great, but it doesn't necessarily help me figure out exactly where I need to to work on for the most part. Um, I would say the big thing is one, keeping it, keeping it in play off of the tee is probably huge. Basically that's going to be the first thing. Like if you can at least keep it in play, that's going to be enormous putting at, I would say putting would be another big one. And then for me, I would say, I don't know what you would consider this. Uh, I'm between, I would say like chipping or like close, close range shots around the green, because that's another part where I struggle sometimes is trying to gauge how, how much to chip, like in terms of distance wise, and I'm not always consistent. And then I end up hitting it onto the green, but it then rolls super far, even though I'm like looking for the line that I want it to get on. And then I end up costing myself at least two putts to get into the hole basically when it should probably be at least one or give myself, you know, definitely two putts, but not hopefully three. So that's my, that's my uh, two cents on what beginners or mid, mid to high handicappers should be kind of focusing on. Yeah. And, and I totally agree with those things because um, echoing yours, number one, keep it in play. That eliminates the big numbers and the people that shoot a hundred or even in the nineties, Lots of doubles, lots of triples. So turn those into bogeys. Secondly, putting. You know, especially find something, find a routine, whether you're warming up for a round or you're just practicing, you know, you know to do. Whether you do like a circle of three feet, circle of six feet, circle of nine feet. Um, you do that for a few holes around the putting green, then you work on lag putting. You know, you put like a, a stick behind um, so you can only go like two or three feet past, something like that. There's so many different ways to attack that and then chipping 
I'm going to say it's basically from like 50 yards and in, because if you go back to kind of the tour pros, you watch them on par fives or certain holes, they will lay up to a distance. They know they can feel with a wedge or a club in their hand and they can get it close. So that's sometimes what people refer to as some of the harder shots in golf. Some of the hardest shots in golf, fairway bunker, um, bunker shot of like 60 yards or less, or, you know, pitches from like 50 yards or less. Because part of that obviously is practicing, which I do a lot of. I work on a lot of stuff from 150 in because that's the scoring range. But number two, I'm also trying to feel, okay, this is how far I need to take my pitching wedge back. This is how far I need to take my 50-degree gap wedge back. This is how far I need to take my 54-degree sandwich and then my 58-degree lob wedge. So um, it's, it's repetition, understanding, you know, from 50 yards, this is how far I want to go back. Now, we get it right every time in the course? Absolutely not. But if you start practicing those situations, it's going to pay off. Yep. Yeah, I would always say try to practice. And I would say break your practice up. I mean, you know, do those technical things where maybe if you're working on a swing change or something along those lines or your putting stroke, that's part of it. But then also put yourself in pressure situations um, where, you know, you're aiming for hopefully your driving range has like some sort of flag or some sort of target to hit that you can aim yeah. for. Um, but, you know, put yourself in that situation where you're like, all right, well, I'm 120 yards out. This is, I need to hit this and get it close. And then usually um, the one episode I did, I don't know the, the number of it. I'm a terrible podcast host. Um, but um, with Gary boys, he was talking about practice and we talked about, you know, having a, um, the word escapes me now, like a consequence for a bad result. Like when you're practicing, like you got to have just like in real life, like there needs to be a consequence um, when you're out on the course, basically. I mean, you have to put your, put the pressure on yourself. So when you're in that situation, you'll be able to perform. Yeah. Well, first off, he's awesome. So, and second, I agree with that. So, um, yeah. if you guys listen to the Gary voice, uh, episode or follow him, I think it's the mind zone. Isn't that his face? Yeah. He's, he's the mind zone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go follow that right now. Yeah. We're going to be doing another episode, uh, Monday actually live. And then it'll be the week after this one. And, um, all right, next question. Let's go with this one. This is from Justin. He says, what are your thoughts on arthritis of the hands in golf? Some players like Phil, meaning Phil Mickelson have had issues battling with this. I work on a computer all day and obviously do my best to work ergonomically knowing the things I could do now affect my golf game many decades down the road. Well, great question. I will just preface this by first saying that Phil does have uh, a specific kind of arthritis, which is psoriatic arthritis, which um, for those of you who don't know, um, is an autoimmune disease, which if you don't know what that is, basically is when a disease, when you're basically your immune system attacks itself and results in a specific disease, one being psoriatic arthritis. Um, rheumatoid arthritis is another autoimmune disease, a little bit different than psoriatic arthritis, um, but generally the same, if, just to kind of keep it nice and easy right now, um, basically. So we're still attacking tendons and, and bones and joints around major joints, essentially. Fairly similar to osteoarthritis, which is the typical arthritis that people get and talk about. 
Um, but Phil's is slightly different um, than just like your typical arthritis that people would talk about. Um, but Andrew, you can go ahead and talk a little bit more about this topic, um, especially with the hands. Obviously, the hands are important in golf. If you didn't have them, it'd be pretty darn hard to play. Um, not saying that it's you can't because there are adaptive golfers, which is pretty cool. Um, but mm-hmm. that's another topic. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this is one I, I hear a lot around the age population I treat. So um, I'm in a town, uh, it's an hour and a half north of uh, Phoenix, and it's 40,000 people. And in the town, I treat people. I don't live in that town. It's about seven miles away. I live in Prescott Valley. But in Prescott, the average age of our population is 60. So everybody comes in. My doctor says I have arthritis. Okay. So that's a pretty general diet, you know, pretty general. Um, sometimes they can be autoimmune conditions. Sometimes they can, like Joe said, they can affect the bones, which is most of the time what we see with arthritis is it is a, um, so like on the end of bones. So like, for example, let's say, uh, like your leg bone, your femur over the top of this area, there's something called articular cartilage. Um, and then it fits into a joint. And a lot of times there's some tissue around it that helps it move better. So if you have arthritis, this articular cartilage on the top is gone. Um, and sometimes the connective tissue or things like that, that help the uh, jo- joints and bones move more uh, are not there. So that sometimes causes the issue. Now, kind of going back to Phil, he has seemingly been able to control it with a few things. Obviously, it's been very well documented. He's lost weight. Um, you know, he's in his 50s. And also, I believe he takes medication for it. He was a spokesperson for one of the arthritis meds back in the day. So he has a combination of things. So if you are concerned about it, go seek a healthcare provider, um, maybe a physician or somebody who specializes in it, or especially hand and wrist, maybe hand wrist soft tissue specialists. Um, a lot of orthopedic places or clinics that treat uh, bone issues have it. Um, going back to arthritis for golf. Um, Obviously, a lot of times with the grip, that can be affected. Uh, sometimes you may just have to limit your practicing for a little bit. So because sometimes arthritis can uh, be affected by repetitive motion. So, you know, the impact position is this. Wrist firm, uh, elbows pretty firm, shoulders firm. So boom, 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 boom. You know, sometimes the wrist doesn't like it because the wrist has a lot of tendons, ligaments, and bones. It doesn't have a blood supply or what is referred to in the medical field as a vascular. Um, so sometimes if you, uh, do something to it, whether it's a minor injury or pretty major trauma, it is going to take a little bit longer to heal than the rest of the body, uh, because it has musculature, um, and it has a better blood supply. So you may have to limit your practice for a little while. If, you know, 90 balls flares up your wrist, you may only hit like 60 or 50 for a while. Then once you get used to it, gradually build up to about 70, stuff like that. Uh, number two, strength training. I'm going to be biased towards that. Um, all the wrists, all of the stuff that innervates the wrist as far as musculature is up here in the forearm. So it starts at the elbow, goes all the way down to the wrist. So lots of elbow, upper arm training, you know, biceps, triceps. I do a ton of grip training, which has really helped my golf game. Um, if you guys want grip training or, or grip strength stuff for, you know, golfers do not hesitate me to send a message. I, I would be more than willing to discuss this with you, but 
Um, sometimes you can Google some things, not always, you know, um, but there are some grips, uh, strength, grip, endurance, you know, forearm work um, for golfers. And sometimes you can get that indirectly. So lap pull downs, your grip has to be there. Bench press, the series that I'm going through right now on my Instagram, your grip has to be there. Uh, deadlifts, pulling from the floor, your grip has to be there. Um, so just doing a number of things. So basically, if your wrist feels flared up, maybe limiting the volume of your strength training um, or the amount of balls or things like that you hit, um, giving yourself a little bit of rest and recovery time. Maybe you take, you know, a couple days off um, compared to you may only take one day off. Um, and then if it does not get better, do not hesitate to seek a healthcare provider, whether it's a physical therapist, um, somebody that understands hand, wrist, soft tissue injuries, sometimes orthopedists have specialists, um, or maybe even like a, like a hand therapist sometimes. So, um, you know, that, that would be where I would go, uh, with this. But like I said, if you want to grip training stuff or grip strength things, don't hesitate to send me a message either on on Facebook or Instagram about it. Yeah. And then, um, also ergonomically speaking, Justin, I, I, I know you personally, I know that, um, you do a lot of sitting at the computer for work. Um, just know that, you know, one, set yourself up as best as you can ergonomically speaking in terms of your computer, your desk height, your chair, mm-hmm. um, if possible, definitely, um, you know, change up if you're able to like have a, a standing desk or a desk that will change heights if possible. Um, if, if you can get that at work, if not, I definitely always recommend just changing your position. Um, in terms of posture, not that that's yeah. necessarily going to have an effect on your wrist per se or hands directly. Um, but I would definitely say always recommend changing position and changing posture throughout the workday, especially if you're sitting for long periods of time. I luckily have never really had to deal with that because I was always moving. Although now mm-hmm. I'm sitting a little bit more, but working on it, but I just tend to get up. I just tend to get up more anyway, but definitely get up. I would say at least, you know, if you're able to, every 30 minutes and just change your position. Um, I know that seems like it could be a killer to your productivity to just take a few minutes away, but actually um, there are some studies that have shown that just getting up and taking less than a five minute walk actually improves your productivity and focus. And it doesn't even have to be five minutes. I mean, you can just get up and do 30 jumping jacks um, all that actually improves productivity and focus. Um, so doing that is not only beneficial for your health, but also your work. So do it. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I learned from somebody is they said, uh, um, you know, there's, there's no such thing as, as perfect posture. I mean, they've done tons of studies that posture does not always correlate to pain. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. So, but, uh, one thing that stuck with me is, uh, uh, your best posture is your next posture. So kind of echoing what Joe said is just try to vary yourself as much as you can throughout the day. So if you're here, you know, kind of, you know, switch the position. So I'm going from flexing the wrists, uh, fingers and everything to I'm now extending the wrists and everything. And I'm now from gone from pronation where I can see my knuckles to supination where I can see my palm. So just kind of, you know, varying things every so often. Um, yep. Because a lot, a lot of times, what at least what I see is people have just been spending time in prolonged positions. They 
you know, they rarely get up. Um, they get comfortable with those positions. Um, and it doesn't always mean they're going to get injured, but sometimes they're like, I don't know how this happened. I just did da, 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 da. And then you watch a move and you're like, okay, this might be part of the picture. So, you know, but like Justin, like Joe said, vary your posture, uh, do your best with it. Um, just get our, get around, be active, um, as much as you can and, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us with uh, other questions. So thanks for that one. Yep. Also, lastly, the last thing I just thought about that, I don't think there's anything that's been proven to at least kind of like minimize or to not help you get an autoimmune disease. Um, mm-hmm. But generally speaking, I would say that you should, one, just try to live a, a healthy lifestyle. So mm-hmm. Andrew kind of alluded to this. So like definitely exercising, whatever that may be. Again, we're both biased towards strength training. I think that's always beneficial for everybody. Um, but, you know, eating healthy 80 to 90% of the time, making sure you're staying hydrated with water and making sure that you're managing uh, stress and getting enough sleep basically, and just basically trying to live a well-rounded healthy life will also help. Again, I don't think it would necessarily, I don't know if there's any studies specifically that have said this, but I think trying to live a healthy life will minimize your risk for most kinds of diseases as we get older or as you get older. Um, that's the last thing I just kind of wanted to add in there. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, in the healthcare field, there are some diseases that have more of a genetic component um, than lifestyle, but uh, lifestyle does sometimes influence those genetic factors. They can come to the top or they can kind of just lay, lay dormant for a little bit. Um, but, you know, not saying that genetic, you know, some of these autoimmune things are genetic. Um, so sometimes you cannot prevent them always, but you can do your best, like Joe said, and and take care of the little things, you know, sleep doesn't cost anything. Um, most of the time, you know, people that have access to, to quality food, that's not an issue. Um, you know, walking is a great form of exercise, you know, great for bone density, things like that. Um, studies have shown they did a a group where they did a placebo group where that didn't walk at all. Uh, for six weeks. And then they did a group that walked three times a week for 20 minutes. And the group that walked three times a week for 20 minutes had a better uh, muscle fiber uh, size. They had better bone density. Um, They had less of a fall risk, you know, especially for those older people and, you know, all these other factors. So, um, you know, sometimes you got exercise minimal equipment and do body weight stuff. So um, don't make things an excuse. um, And, try to do your best with it. But like I said, you know, any questions or anything, don't hesitate to reach out to Joe or I or a trusted professional, whether it's fitness or healthcare um, to get on the right track either. Perfect. All right. I think I may have saved the best question for last year. It better be the best question. (laughs) This, this comes from Jeff Reynolds off of Facebook and Jeff asks, why is golf so frustrating for the majority (laughs) of golfers? (laughs) Uh, one, because the hole is only four and a quarter inches wide. That's a start. Um, it, it, it's frustrating because, uh, you play about, I don't know, maybe five to 10 minutes worth of shots and the other three and a half hours are in between here. I can't, I can't remember because I think you posted one time for like a Monday mantra on your, uh, on your Facebook page, Joe, um, mm. I, it was like a Bobby Jones quote. That I was yeah, it was Bobby about. Jones. Yeah, I, I can't remember the quote, but it's something it's, like it's between the two yeah. years, something like that. Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, 
like the hardest walk in golf is is between your two ears or something. Yeah. The hardest. Um, it, it it is frustrating. Now, you you see pro golfers get frustrated all the time, but then we realize, oh, they're making millions of dollars. So, um, but it's still frustrating for the recreational golfer because one is we don't want to hit bad shots. We want to play the perfect round. Well, there's no such thing as the perfect round. Um, you know, I'm sure if you asked Scotty Scheffler a few weeks ago after he shot 59, when you say it's perfect round, he'd probably say it's pretty darn near. But, you know, there are probably some shots that he remembers that he didn't play very well. But golf is so frustrating because one of the things that I found playing in high school um, when I was really getting into the competitive thing is if you tried harder, sometimes it didn't work in your favor. It's the opposite of other sports. You can try harder in football, basketball, baseball, all these other sports, and it rewards you. And golf, if you try harder, sometimes it punishes you. So um, it, it's just hard because you only hit a handful of shots, and the rest of the time you're walking between shots. And let's say you hit a great drive, and you've got like 120 yards, you pull out your wedge, and you just fat it into the bunker. You're walking there, and it's between here like, you should be thinking about the next shot, but you're like, how did I come on the inside and just chunk the crap out of this thing or, or something like that? It's, it's just that, that golf consumes the mind, and it, it, it's hard because we're always in pursuit of getting better, and sometimes we have to really suck in order to get better. So that's kind yep. of the thing about that. I think, um, I mean, perfect example was me today. I played around. And front nine was probably one of the best like front nines I've ever played. And then I was like, oh man, I'm doing pretty well. Then back nine just imploded. And I was like, what what happened? But anyway, um, it was all in my head. Like the first two holes on the back nine, I just like imploded. And I was like, all right, I got to And like you said, tried harder and just made things worse. Um, But yeah, I think one, the biggest thing with golf is knowing that it's not, possible to be perfect one and two that it's always about a game of misses it's mm-hmm. never going to end up landing where you want it to land even excluding this weekend uh at Wingfoot and seeing the pros you know i mean they don't ever get it not that's not true a majority of the time they get it generally close to where they want it to but it doesn't always go to where they want it to go mm-hmm. um i think the other thing that's frustrating is that most of us who really do enjoy golf and we watch the PGA tour, LPGA, whichever tour you want to watch mm-hmm. these guys are, these guys and girls are really good. Like really, really good. Like the oh, courses yeah. that we play on, they would just demolish basically. They'd, it'd be no, no contest basically. Well, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they just, you know, what happens too, we don't, we don't actively realize this is like, say on um a weekend where i've seen it before well where phil mickelson let's say he makes the cut but he's not playing well or whoever's not playing well guess what they're not showing them on tv because they're not playing well That, that doesn't make for good television and we don't get to see them shoot you know seven over eight over or whatever the round may be and we think that they're always playing great but we forget that they're on TV and the next time we remember seeing them is when they're, you know, playing for the win for, for that weekend. Right. 
and we don't ever get to see usually their bad shots. Obviously, this weekend is a is a different story. None of us could probably even compete on Wingfoot to even to even save our lives. Um, I think if but, I shot high seventies, I would be happy there. I mean, <laughs> um, so just remember that they're always struggling too, just as much as we are. I mean, today, I mean, geez, what was it? It was like two weekends ago or even last weekend when Justin Thomas, he was mic'd up or close by to a mic. And he was like, God, that was the worst shot in history. And he was like within 10 feet of the hole. Basically I was like, I would, I would kill to have that shot nine times out of 10, Justin. Yeah. 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 And I, there's a compilation on PGA tour. I remember Justin Thomas and Charles Schwab, he hit one and he goes, I mean, just points, right. Cause he knew how bad it was. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's it's hard, you know. Um, and obviously, like you said, you're going to see it this weekend. It's going to be really hard. Um, but this kind of goes back to a mindset thing. And kind of the last thought I have is if you are already prepared in your mind that you are going to make a mistake or two or three in the round, it's not going to phase you. The frustrating part is when you go into a round and you think, oh, I'm going to do this, and you get make two or three mistakes, and, and your mindset's like, what what happened? It's like you knew you were going to make some mistake today, but you didn't know when, and then it really throws you off that you made that mistake, and people get frustrated by that. It's like, no, that's what happens in golf. You could go out to a recreational par three course, or you could go to a PGA Tour event. I mean – Everybody makes mistakes on certain shots, but the difference between the pros and the Joes in this case, the recreational golfers are called Joes is the pros know they're going to make mistakes. They're going to make a a bogey or a par when they should have made birdie or something. And they're going to roll with it for the majority of time. So part of it is about mindset, understanding that I may make mistakes. And then let's say you three putt the first hole and you get a bogey. What are you going to do in the second team? You're going to keep pouting and hit a terrible tee shot, or are you going to strike one down the middle? Okay, that's what's that's what's got to happen. So, a, a lot of it comes down to mindset. I'm not saying I don't get frustrated a lot in golf shots because I don't hit every shot perfect, but um, I've gotten a lot better at realizing, okay, I need. Hopefully, this is a good miss here, um, or I'm just looking to the next shot. So that's just kind of mindset. Is a, is a big thing but yeah golf is still frustrating so don't get me wrong yep always frustrating i think the big thing too i think with a lot of just like typical golfers we generally always everyone always wants to be good at something but i mean it's the pursuit of perfection and i don't think that there's anything wrong with that just know that it's impossible to be perfect in just about anything especially mm-hmm. this game that we all love and hate at the same time yep. and um like Andrew said, just know that you're going to go in making mistakes. And I think that will definitely be helpful. And then just making sure you respond to those in an appropriate way. So like Andrew said, you know, if you just three putt made bogey, you know, you can't keep pouting about it on the next tee. You got to just go with it, erase it from your mind and just new hole next shot, basically. And just go from there, basically, mm-hmm. which is not always easy. Don't get me wrong, but it's what, it's what Andrew said. That's what the pros do really well. And the everyday person probably doesn't do so well. 
Um, but that's all the questions as um, we have for this time. As Andrew said earlier, please send in your questions or comments, whatever you want to do. If you have any questions related to golf, fitness, health, whatever's happening on the PGA Tour, what our favorite pizza topping is, doesn't matter. Just <laughs> send them in and uh, we will make sure that they get answered. My favorite pizza topping is pepperoni. So if anybody wants to send can't go pizza. wrong with pepperoni. I'm going to go uh, with a also, very. Also, hopefully by the next uh, month, um, I'm going to be wearing my golfers uh, shirt on the next uh, monthly podcast. Shout out to Kelly Hunt uh, nice. for her initiative with the PGA LPGA uh, teaching professionals. So um, I'm going to, I'd set it ship today. So by the next yeah. next yep. month, Ash, I'm going to wear it. So um, shout out to Kelly Hunt. Go follow her on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, she has to. been on this. She has been on she this has. podcast. So go listen to her episode too. Pretty sure episode five. I know that one. Okay. You got that one. Now. I think so. It was either episode five or six. One of those. Okay. Definitely enough. early. Yeah. Definitely early. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to remember to wear mine too. Cause I got one. You, I'll Facebook message you. All right. Um, are you playing it? I'm sure you're playing. You're playing this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so there's there's this guy I've been I played with last weekend. He invited me again this weekend. There's this really nice private club um, up here in Prescott that I'm going to play, and it's it's in immaculate shape. It's got uh, probably some of the best manicured uh, bluegrass fairways and uh, bent grass greens, and it's just it's awesome. It's the designed. He's done. He's not a super well-known golf course designer, Jay Moore. I think it's Jay Moore or Jay Moorish. Um, he's done a lot in Arizona and I think uh, on the West Coast. So, um, but yeah, it's a really cool golf course. So, yeah, obviously I'll be playing. So, nice. I'm playing again tomorrow at a different course. So, it should be good. Yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, that should that should be good. You should play more with uh, the Merit Method and some of those guys up there in Maine. Yeah, yeah, I would love to get out with Christian again. Um, yeah, have you have you had him on the podcast yet? I have not. No. No, you should. You should, man. That's one. Yeah, we did. T- we did talk about it. it. You, yeah, you did. And then, uh, uh, God, I can't remember his name. It's like MBPS Golf Fitness, Damian. Uh, oh, yep. Langenstoll. He's out of Cincinnati. He's a really good guy that I think yep. uh, would be on the podcast. Yep. We got some more stuff coming up. I gotta, I gotta get on scheduling people. It's not always That's easy fine. to. That's- that's just my two plugs for the show. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, until next time, folks, we'll catch you around. Send us your questions. And uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Always appreciate it. All right. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. And hopefully you're continuing to enjoy these monthly installments of the Monthly Mash with Andrew. Uh, I know we both enjoy doing them and we enjoy mainly answering your questions, whatever it may be. So if you like hearing these questions that were brought up today and you have a question regarding golf, fitness, health, injuries, nutrition, again, whatever whatever you want to ask us, feel free to send us a message on Instagram or Facebook, and I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, or you can also send me an email as well. Um, but we would love to answer your questions on the show. And um, thank you again. I'm always grateful for anyone who's listening, especially this long of an episode. I know it's a little bit longer, but thank you again. I appreciate it. Please uh, subscribe, share, rate, review the show, whatever you want to do to help other people uh, just improve their health and get better at golf. 
But let's officially wrap this episode up. Keep striving for excellence in everything that you do, because when you feel great, you go off great. <laughs>